This is episode 83 of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast, and I'm your host, John S. Today's episode is the first of two addressing the topic of sexual predation and harassment in Alcoholics Anonymous, and features a conversation with Heather B. from Indianapolis, Indiana, and Bethany B. from Jacksonville, Florida. We'll talk about the problem from their perspective and possible solutions. Our next episode on this topic will consist of the personal stories of women who have experienced sexual harassment and predation in the rooms of AA. Hello, I am with Bethany B. and Heather B. Uh, Bethany is from Jacksonville, Florida, and Heather is from Indianapolis, Indiana. And today we're going to talk about a subject that is pretty timely in the news. It's about uh, sexual assault, harassment, predation in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, Pretty heavy subject, but um, I think that it's an important one. And I think that a good way to start is by describing the problem from um, a couple of paragraphs from an article that Heather published in AA Beyond Belief some time ago. The article was called uh, Predatory Behavior Within the Fellowship. I'm just going to read these two um, paragraphs real real quick. Uh, This is from uh, written by Heather. When someone with a significant amount of sobriety seeks out a romantic sexual relationship with someone new to the program and or sobriety. It's referred to as 13th stepping. It is predatory because at best it takes advantage of another's vulnerability and interferes with their recovery. At worst, it compromises the other person's sobriety, leading them back to alcohol and drugs. The program is often the first and sometimes only lifeline that many of us find. Many women, including myself, arrive carrying the weight of sexual trauma. Now we have to get sober in an environment filled with men we don't know. Imagine, on top of this, getting befriended by someone who pretends to help, offers you a lifeline, but only wants to sleep with you. It is irresponsible and reprehensible to manipulate a newcomer in this way. If we are to carry the message to those who suffer, it's up to us to honor, not take advantage of, the vulnerability that newcomers carry through the door. And I thought that was just an excellent description of what the problem is. Maybe a good place to start, if you guys don't mind, is maybe talking about some of your firsthand personal experience with this issue um, and maybe even some secondhand um, observations that you've had since you've been in the rooms. Um, would you be willing to, to maybe start with, with that? Does that sound okay? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, John. So... I guess, you know, I first took a stab at trying to get sober um, in a different fellowship about 20 years ago um, and found the environment there to be very meat markety and and it really just left a bad taste in my mouth. So about 10 years later, when I, and, and I had periods of staying sober, trying to stay sober, relapsing, going to treatment. So there was a lot going on there um, about Eight years ago, when I came back to uh, the rooms of AA, uh, there was a gentleman, and I already had a significant, I had a, n- a number of years of sobriety at this point, and um, it, he asked me to see a movie. 
I wasn't really sure at that if it was if he was asking me, you know, because he wanted to have a romantic type relationship or if he just wanted to be friends. Um, so the more I thought about it, the more I became uncomfortable with it. And just, you know, when he called me, texted me, I just said, hey, look, I'm, I'm not comfortable with this. I think I misinterpreted your intent here. Um, and that really set him off. He got really angry, started rapid fire texting me. I ended up blocking him. He continued to come to this mixed uh, agnostic meeting that I attended here in Indianapolis was just really, um, he talked a lot about his untreated mental illness. He was really disrespectful to men and to women, but particularly to women. Um, he was very aggressive and uh, name calling and always gave, always wanted to dominate the conversation and would, you know, a woman would share, he would shake his head, roll his eyes, grunt, sigh, make it known to the rest of the room that, you know, he was the authority on, on sobriety. And, um, and so in any event, it got really ugly and I won't drag this out any longer, but he ended up coming to a different, uh, agnostic meeting. Uh, well, he called me and threatened me, first of all. Uh, it just this sort of, I don't know if it was real rejection or if it was just perceived rejection. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, there were some other things, you know, that happened in the meantime. Uh, my partner, who's also in the program, uh, who's a man, came and, you know, defended me and sort of try, it told him they scuffled a little bit. And, uh, in any event, he ended up showing up to another meeting with a weapon. Um, he assaulted my partner and went to jail that night. So about a year later, we had a trial, and he was charged with a felony, but he uh, had a really good attorney and um, was found not guilty. So, yeah. So was the group able to do anything, or did they try to do anything about about this guy? We talked about it, um, and I think everyone was kind of at a loss of what to do. You know, I didn't attend that meeting consistently, and I certainly don't. I wish that the group as a whole had had uh, been more proactive about booting him out. But at the same time, you know, I was part of that group, and I, you know, there's this feeling of this is Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, we're mm -hmm. helping people save their own lives here. And so to really boot someone out could be, could result in, in a relapse for them. So it's something that we took really seriously. Um, and yes, there were several people from the group who were great about it, who tried to talk to him, who gave him warning, but it just seemed to escalate and get worse and worse and worse. He sent, you know, um, he was harassing me. He was harassing a sponsee of mine. He was, and who was also a woman, by the way. And so when my partner came to that meeting, after I'm telling, you know, I'm relaying all this to him, he came to the meeting and sort of man to man said, look, this is going to stop. And that kind of made it worse. So in any event, it, we, the group did try to reason with him and that was not successful. Yeah. But I will say that at least the facility where those meetings are held, the board members there were very supportive and they kicked him out and he's no longer able to go there yeah. at all for any meeting. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was wondering about, um, you know, what to, what to even do about this. And, um, we can talk about that later, but, you know, one of the things is the people who rent the facility to our meetings can, we can let them know about what's going on and they can kind of step in because they don't want to have that kind of a problem in their facility, I'm sure. So. Yeah. Well, 
and yeah, they were really, uh, yeah, they were really supportive of, and he actually tried to show up there, um, a couple times after this happened. And the men who were on the board there, I think the, the police were called once or twice. I'm not really sure of them getting all the second hand from them, but he did try to show up there and they did not allow it. You know, um, a couple of years ago, I was talking, I was having a conversation online with, I think, four women, and they were all from different states. And uh, this, this, this topic came up of what we call 13th stepping, and I don't really use that term anymore. But I asked them, I said, have, have, you, have you guys experienced this? And every single one of them said that they did. And, and it kind of surprised me. Um, but now what I'm hearing um, in the media with all, all the news that's going on with the, you know, the Me Too movement and so forth, it seems like that this is just such a widespread problem just throughout society, not just in AA, but particularly in AA, it's, it's, it's dangerous and it's something that, you know, that we need to be talking about and finding solutions for. Uh, Bethany, have you had experiences or any that you would like to share, um, related to this? Uh, sure. Yeah. And John, thanks for, um, you know, opening up a dialogue about this. I think it's, you know, this is one of the chief reasons that I, um, you know, left physical meetings. Um, but, uh, you know, I got sober right after I turned 23 and, uh, I had gotten a sponsor and I've been sober, I don't know, less than three months. Um, and she, my sponsor told me that, um, if I didn't date for the first year that she would take me shopping at the end of the first year. And, uh, like she really was trying to incentivize me to kind of stay away from, you know, any of that enmeshment. But, um, there was a fella that was going to this clubhouse where I was going to a lot of meetings and he was about 17 years sober. He was pretty, I mean, a lot of these guys that we hear about are, you know, pretty well respected because they have, you know, time. They've been around a long time and they say things that, that make sense. And, uh, he, you know, took me out and, uh, you know, it was, it was something that resembled dating. Um, and it was, um, you know, uh, romantic and sexual in nature. Um, I, you know, I, it was consensual on my part, but I didn't know that, uh, you know, the reasons why we avoided this were, you know, to give newcomers a chance. And I didn't know that I was at, at risk of, you know, drinking because of this, but, uh, my sponsor, you know, she said, listen, I can't tell you what to do, but if you're, you know, I hope you're not messing around with this guy. And I was messing around with him. And, you know, I think uh, I learned years later that she had taken him aside, like, you know, just give it a rest, you know, give it a shot, get, let her have a shot at this. And, um, you know, I was probably emotionally, you know, emotionally beaten up, uh, you know, by this, you know, fresh, raw rejection, you know, just something that I, you know, in the bar culture that I had been um, a part of during my drinking years in college, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was a, a meat market kind of situation as well. And, um, you know, to experience that sober, um, you know, I was really like, um, you know, I was shaken, but I didn't, um, you know, I didn't relapse because of that. But then, you know, I stuck around long enough and went to tons of meetings and, uh, um, you know, just have witnessed just people's lives getting decimated by making poor decisions in their first year sober. And um, there's a woman um, in, Indi- in Indiana in um, Champaign that um, that I respect a lot. She is at a lot of conferences and I'll just respect her anonymity now. But, you know, in her area too, there, you know, there's this pervasive culture of, um, uh, you know, older men with time that are respected in the group that, that habitually uh, predate the women in the rooms. And this happens in my area too. And so we're told too, John, um, okay, what's, what's your part in it? So I'm having to look at, you know, 
this thing that happened and it was totally inappropriate from the other party's perspective. But what is my part in it? Well, I accepted his offer of going out to dinner. And uh, he, this man did, um, and whatever else is my part in it, you know, did I, um, you know, wink back at him or squeeze his hand, you know, during the prayer at the end of the meeting? I mean, what is, you know, we're told to look at our part in some of these things where we really are just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. And uh, this fella, when I was 10 years sober, so I was like 33 at this time, uh, he came up to me at a meeting and I really just had not, you know, not in like a, you know, angry way. And I didn't, you know, run around warning women about this fella. And he just kind of drifted away from AA and would only come back on his anniversary. But at 10 years sober, um, he came to me. So I guess he was 27 years at that time. And he said, I, I need to make an amends to you. I was like, yeah, I mean, like he, he, oh, he said, um, you look so young. I'm like, well, how do you think I looked 10 years ago? Oh, wow. Uh, and he was, he was a bit of an older, he felt sober young too, but he was, you know, significantly older than I was at the time. But, uh, you know, um, that was, that was, it was kind of like a two passing ships and I got an amends for that, which, you know, uh, I, I do appreciate that to agree, but it's like, you know, the problem is so overwhelming. It's, I, I almost like I don't want to go to AA and even see it anymore. And I certainly at this point don't know if I could even recommend this as a place for, you know, people mm-hmm. that I care about. It's just like some bad stuff goes on. Do you think that the other men in the group knew that he was doing this? Oh, sure. I'm sure because it was really, you know, consensual and because I, you know, I have a, a bit of a mouth on me that probably like uh, we were more evenly yoked than, you know, some people that are, you know, perhaps in financially dire straits or, um, you know, don't have a, um, don't have opinions and things like yeah. that. So, I did, you know, years later um, at the same clubhouse, you know, some of the older men were out at this picnic table or whatever. And, and one of them said that, you know, they had all bet on me and they, some of them had actually lost some money. They didn't think I was going to make it. You know, that's, I mean, let's talk about how sick that is. I know that is really, and I hope that, you know, I've heard that before and I hope that they were just kidding and that they weren't actually literally doing that. But who knows? It's sick, isn't it? The reason I was asking about that, about if other men knew, because I'm becoming a little bit more sensitive now about recognizing what's going on and then speaking out if I see something that, that doesn't seem right. But here's an example of something that happened at our home group. Um, there was a guy that had been sober for maybe 30 years, and he would come to our meetings with a young woman who has, was just getting sober. Mm-hmm. And they were dating, I guess. And I remember thinking to myself, well, this is inappropriate for somebody who's 30 years sober to be dating someone who's just getting sober. He should know that she needs some space. And I didn't say anything. And um, they kept coming to our meetings. And another woman in our group pointed out to me as 13th stepping. I said, really? And <laughs> it sounds stupid, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, yeah. You know, I should have gone to that guy and said, you know what? This is inappropriate. You've been sober for 30 years. This, this, this woman is just now getting on her feet on the ground, you know, um, stand back, you know? So, but how do you, you so know, John, well, John, the, I mean, really the last straw for me in, um, you know, leaving the, you know, physical meetings in AA was, you know, uh, there's this tight knit group of women that, you know, kind of have had their click for a number of years in my regional area. And, you know, after this convention where I met you, um, I talked to my sponsor who was, you know, affiliated with that group. And there was a woman that, um, you know, she was still under a year sober. And within that first year, she had already married uh, this fella that had been sober 30 years. Within her first year, she's new to the area, new to AA. And, you know, even before she had a year, she already had been married 
she had gotten married to this fellow that in that group. And I asked my sponsor about it. I said, you know, what, how do you reconcile that? And she said, well, you know, women have a part in it too. And um, that was actually our last conversation. She asked me to, you know, she texted me and suggested I should write about some of my feelings about that. And I did. I wrote a blog and I sent her a link. But, you know, a lot of this is about, we say the person has the other part. I don't know how true that is when you're looking at the power balance. It's like in the workplace. If you have someone who's a manager over a subordinate, that's not really an equal relationship. Or if you have somebody um, like like what's going on now who's in the media and is a very powerful person in the media and you have someone else uh, who's trying to rise up. If you have someone who's been sober and knows the ropes of AA inside and out and someone who doesn't is, and, is, and is not sure of themselves, you know, that's just not an equal relationship. And I think that the person who has the power has the responsibility to not leverage that, to stand back. But these are probably not well people. This is what's so so odd about it. It's like, they give so much authority and, and respect to these people who are, you know, perhaps career criminals and have done some unspeakable things. And here they are as role models, you know. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah. I think the the other thing, too, is that you were talking about the power imbalance. Women, at least in my regional area, are often the minority. I know that's true in um, the agnostic meetings here. You know, it's not uncommon to go to a meeting where it's 90% men, 10% women. So when you're, Mm -hmm. you know, pushing that gap even further of this guy has five years, this guy has 10 years, you're new, but then, and you're also the only woman in the room. Yeah, I see that imbalance in our group too. I think, I think there's probably at, at any given time, it's vast majority men to women. Lately, it's been more like a 30, 70 kind of a mix. You, you know, um, the way, the way that we, um, put people on pedestals that have long periods of sobriety or, or, or say things, you know, um, we, we hear them say, they talk the, the program talk. Um, I, I think that that's, that's a danger in a way is that and the whole thing of sponsorship of, of having these people have some sort of, um, authoritative air about them simply because they say and things. <laughs> wholly unqualified to counsel another person on how to live their life. And, uh, you know, maybe even people that have, uh, you know, that, that have a personality, uh, validity or disorder even such that, you know, they enjoy dominating other people and telling them what to do. I mean, this is a, it's just the whole, it's a flawed system. And in in my situation, the, um, the man talked freely in the meeting about um, his untreated mental illness. Mm-hmm. And this guy was sponsoring people. So, um, you know, I'm not, I think that you know, this is probably a topic for a different podcast, but it just highlights how in how unable to handle mental mental illness, you know, the fellowship really is. But there's got to be a way that we can protect the group. I was looking at that, too, um, of possible solutions. And I was reading your article, Heather, and, and one thing that, that you mentioned in your article was, you know, the importance of, of men speaking out when they when they see this when they see things going on that, that, that doesn't seem right. You want to talk about that? Maybe some solutions that you see um, for, for the problem? Any ideas? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I think it's interesting. When I wrote that article, I remember a comment that someone made on, um, at the bottom 
that said, I'm sorry, uh, good men cannot keep the bad men out. And I thought, well, that's pretty telling. And I wondered if that was kind of the feeling across the board, that men felt like they that it wasn't any of their business. Uh, but I would argue that as we're seeing now, like you mentioned, you know, in, in our, in our culture as a whole, uh, rape and sexual assault are not really a woman's problem. I think as a whole, we need to hand this problem back to you. And while we, and while I am certainly willing to have conversations about what the solutions are, I also think that this isn't a woman's problem. We didn't create this problem. Mm-hmm. And so it really is, because of that, it really is up to men to step up and solve it. I do think that just as, as it's my responsibility when I see it, and, and, and hey, I've seen this happen. I've seen, you know, the guy who's always with the cute young mm-hmm. newcomer. Yep. I see this all, you know, I see it and mm-hmm. I don't say anything either. So it's my responsibility, I think, as a member of the AA community to reach out to her and right. maybe offer her something. But I also think that when men see this behavior in other men, it's important that they put a stop to it as well. I do too. Uh, I'm beginning, I'm beginning to understand that. I mean, I, I, I think, um, for, I think there's certain degrees of this too, where I don't think that men talk to I think I don't think the men who are doing this who are the predators who are the assaulters are necessarily talking about what they they're doing to uh, you know with other men maybe they are but but I haven't heard that and I I think it's kind of a, a problem that like if I see something like I see the guy with the young woman or whatever and I just kind of turn my head and say it's none of my business it's they know what they're doing or whatever and 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 I think that's where yeah. what I what I need to change is that is that mindset that no, if, if it feels wrong, I, I have an obligation to that woman to, to let her know, Hey, this, this isn't appropriate. This, this may not be appropriate. You know, think about this. And I should go to the guy and say that I don't think this is appropriate. You know, what you're doing, you know, give her, give her some space, you know, wow. Right. And, and it's also important, you know, for me to reach out to the new, you know, the women who are newcomers and, you know, give them my phone number. And uh, because I've seen it happen where a cute newcomer female comes in and then after the meeting, she's surrounded by men. Oh, that's actually, okay. So um, I actually have a story about that. So when I was um, maybe 10 or 12 years sober, I had told my sponsor like, hey, you know, I think this whole God thing is kind of a, a crock. And I think that everybody in these meetings that believes it, I think they're, you know, uh, I, I don't respect them. I think they're dim and uh, she's like well you know, go to a meeting where you don't know anybody and listen for an, a different message and so I went to this meeting um, you know for the first time where I didn't know anybody and uh, yeah I mean it was obvious that I didn't know anybody there and it was my first time and I was yeah I was surrounded by men I was like uh, thanks for the schedule uh, I don't need your phone number um, yeah wow <laughs> um, so at the Thursday, at the, at one of the agnostic meetings and which, and we've actually started just a, an agnostic women's meeting here, but at the mixed meeting, there are a couple mixed meetings, but at one of them, we, at the end of the meeting, it's in the format to announce who the, the female contact is and who mm-hmm. the male contact is. So if mm-hmm. you're new, please approach this person. You're kind of directed to 
at least pointed in the right direction. Um, I was actually thinking about our group <laughs> creating a um, actual sexual harassment policy and procedures because you know mm-hmm. companies have these and um, you have you have actual a process to follow where you can say you know first of all I think it should be something that's in writing and we can give it to every newcomer and we can have like a safe contact where people can call and maybe it can even be a third party or something but I'm kind of thinking that we could actually come up with some sort of an actual policy and process and let people know it's in place um, and I think that that could help with with so that if somebody does is is a victim or at least they, at least they could be aware that they're even a victim. They might not even know, you know, until until they see this thing in writing that says, you know, this is an issue that can happen here. So I'm kind of thinking about trying to get something together like that. And and I know some I know that we could have like a, a woman and a man in our group who could be like, you know, a safe person that you can go to and, and speak to. But also I'm thinking about the people who operate the facility where we meet to let them know about our policy and maybe even have them as a contact person. Um, these mm-hmm. are just kind of some thoughts I've had. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. And I, I also what, wonder, too, what do you guys think about the idea of bringing it up as a topic in a meeting? Well, I think it's a, a one of the a great way for people to add the list of reasons to shun a person, you know, from AA. And you know, not, I'm really not even joking about that. And I think, you know, if I had been, you know, if I had not just walked away from this uh, community that I'd been a part of, but if I had, you know, said things out loud, then certainly you see that I would have been, um, you know, uh, vocally outspoken, uh, you know, loudly shunned. You know, so, that, um, you know, I hate to be pessimistic, and I, I really, I don't know what the answer is, and I just choose not to participate anymore. It's overwhelming. You know, you and I were talking just a little bit in Jacksonville, and what what something that you um, said there that it's like these these men. It's almost like the religious nature of AA itself um, gives these people this 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 authoritative um, air about them, and it's really sick in a way um, how the rest of the group idolizes these people. And you pointed out mm-hmm. that there, there are a lot of people that are really well respected that are just serial predators. Um, mm-hmm. that is amazing. That's what, that's what, that's what needs, that's what needs to happen. I think is that as a culture in AA, we need to find these predators and bring them to light and, and let them know it's not okay that it, that, you know, that that's and shun them, the predators. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so which, which is what's happening. You know, in the great, which is we're seeing this shift in culture in in American culture happening right now. That's right. And it seems, you know, that and I think that's been an amazing thing to, to, to watch. Um, and I think that that would be helpful in, in AA um, is to have and to bring these people out uh, and show them for what they are, regardless of, you know, because there's a lot of men, there's a lot of men, you know, you, you see them come public people in, in, in the public, in the news media or actors or whatever that you, you know, that I would think, well, I, I love their work and I think that they're a good person. But then you find out what they're really doing. And it just, it's, I don't know, it's, it's eye-opening. And, and, and you know that this exists in AA too, but there's plenty of people out there that are, you know, highly respected. And, you know, we think they have a great program and everything, but, you know, behind the scenes, they're, they're a serial predator. And we need to bring those people out, I think. and um, to make the rest of us safer. Mm-hmm. But also I like the idea of women's meetings too. And I know that they're real popular and, um, and there's some women in our, in our 
group that were talking about starting one, but they haven't really gotten anything off the ground. I'd like to see, I'd like to see that going too. Um, and you mentioned this too in your article, Heather. You said that, that, you know, that's a good, a good idea to have the women's meetings, but that you didn't like the idea of us being totally segregated. That's not a total solution. Yeah. I mean, and I, women's meeting, at least in my experience, women's meetings are, we always go deeper. Uh, people share on a deeper level, you know, could be the safety factor of people, women just feel, um, more, safe, uh, being open. And we can talk about uh, our experience, sexual and otherwise, that doesn't always feel comfortable. It doesn't always feel comfortable doing that in in a mixed meeting. You know, alcoholism, for me, alcoholism involved a lot of promiscuity, right? Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I think that, I also think that, you know, there's a lot to be learned from you know, from everyone in the program. And so, I don't know. I, I think I love women's meetings, but I would, I'd also like to see the culture change rather than just segregating us completely. You know, I went, um, for my first 25 years in AA, I went almost exclusively to an all, uh, men's meeting, um, which a lot of people might find kind of unusual. I, I just kind of fell into that group. I didn't go to it just because it was a men's group. It's just because I think when I was starting out there, there were other people my age and I just felt comfortable with. And so that's, that's the group that I went to. But then, um, after 25 years, then I started the We Agnostics group. And, and of course it's a mixed group, men and women. And I really, and I really enjoyed that because I never really got to hear from women all those years that I was in the program. <laughs> So I really like having, mm-hmm. I like, really, I like having that perspective. But one thing that I learned from that is there's a real difference between how men and women share sometimes in meetings. And there was one issue that we had at our Friday meeting that was causing a problem where women would come in and they would share. And then the, these older guys, and I think that they meant well, but they, they were, it was really frustrating because they would be offering advice and counsel, you know, and it's like, <laughs> I, I don't know if, mm. it, if that seems to be what happens. It's like that, that, that men might sometimes, and they also, um, I, I notice sometimes that women seem to be more talking from experience, whereas a lot of times the men will be quoting from some book or something. So there's a little bit of a difference, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes between men and women, how they share in meetings. And I think that that, I think that men should be aware of that a little bit more. Um, I'm only aware of it, I think, because I noticed, I noticed that difference and then talking to some of the women in our group and we had that particular problem in our Friday meeting, which, um, is really difficult to address. You know, we tried to address it through the, through, um, telling people that we can't have crosstalk because it was kind of in the form of crosstalk. People saying, Oh, this is what you should be doing or whatever. Well, it's, it's, it's telling too that. You know, the big book is really pretty patriarchal. It was written by men, and I, so, and it's also written from the male perspective. So, I, when I first came in, I could never relate to this ego run wild, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. thing that, that the big book describes because I came in feeling like shit. Yeah. I came in hating myself incredibly low self-esteem, lots of shame, lots of guilt. So I couldn't really relate to that. And I, I think that that, not that that's true across the board for all women, but I know for me that was difficult to relate to. Did you feel that way, Becca? Well, well, I guess I just, you know, I was thinking that, um, you know, I haven't, uh, 
been around, you know, the fellowship um, since the summer, actually, John, since I, <laughs> that weekend that I met you. And I'll have to say, I really, gosh, I'm not upset about it. I'm not looking for solutions for it because I'm not involved in it. And so I know that, like, you know, pretending like it doesn't exist, I will say that I'm, you know, I am not conflicted about it any longer because I just don't see it. And I know that's really just, like, a sad way to look at it. But, um, you know, if we, depending on your, the type of agnosticism or atheism that you have, you know, if there's really no meaning to any of this, why is, you know, I can certainly find community elsewhere with a lot less headache. So you're pretty much done with it. Done, done with AA yeah. pretty much. Yeah, that, that's so amazing I, because you were, you were really involved heavily for a long time, weren't you? Daily meetings for my sponsor. Wow. And it was that state convention in Jacksonville, huh? Yeah. Incredible. That's amazing. Um, you know what I do with my extra hour a day? What do you do? Anything I want. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. No, I just said good, right on. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I'm also sad. I'm also, you know, hearing you say that makes me sad. And I, I'm, that was one of the reasons that we started a, a women's meeting here is yeah. to provide people like you a place to go. Yeah. That experience in Jacksonville was kind of an eye opener, wasn't it, Bethany? It was kind of, um, because it, you heard us talk about the program in a different way, I guess, than, than you've ever heard before. Yeah. I didn't know that, you know, I was, I was not alone in feeling this, like, what are these people even talking about? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just to understand that other people have this, you know, existential disconnect, um, you know, that uh, I certainly felt, you know, I've been using reality as my higher power all along anyway. Like, um, my life is very crappy when I'm drinking and it's been, you know, fairly easy ever since. I mean, it just doesn't even make sense for me to drink and I don't need to sit in these rooms to be reminded of that, you know? But, you know, for me, AA was so uh, conflicted because I was so young when I got sober and really everybody was so welcoming and it was, you know, a way better life than what I was doing, you know, on my own devices. But, um, you know, uh, for me, it was just time to move on. But, you know, I've had, you know, uh, awakenings of the whatever variety you want to call it where, you know, something happens or I hear something or read something and just all of a sudden look at something a different way. It's like flipping a switch. And yeah. that's happened numerous times in my life. And this is just one of them that's like, I hope it works out. <laughs> yeah. You know what we hear about people that quit going. So. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I, you know, I, honestly, I sometimes think about, about leaving myself, but um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm kind of committed to this, this whole agnostic AA thing now. So mm-hmm. I, I do enjoy it. I do love it. And I do want to have a safe place. How I feel is that we need to create a safe place for people who are in a time of crisis. Because like it or not, if people are having a problem with drinking, they're gonna go to they're gonna go to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I just like for there to be a safe place for them to get them through that time of crisis for however long they might need it. You know, some people might only need it for a month. Some people might need it for six months. But I had that for me, and I was a young person too, Bethany. I was twenty five, and mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. I needed I just needed a safe place where I could talk and people could listen, and it just meant. It, it saved me, and uh, mm-hmm. I think there's some value in that. So I, maybe that's why I'm still I'm still around. But I can certainly respect people who choose not to because um, it can it can be an unhealthy environment, no doubt about it. So. Yeah, if I'm if I'm the role model in the room, I need to be in a different room. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. This was a very constructive uh, conversation. Um, and I appreciate you guys agreeing to do this. Um, it's probably, it's, it's such a deep topic. There's, there's so much to explore here. There's so many um, behaviors and so forth. 
Um, do you have any final thoughts on the topic that you want to you want to express, uh, either one of you? I just want to say thank you for you know opening up the dialogue and um, and, and thank you too. I know you do a lot of work for for the AA agnostic movement, so I appreciate you giving us you know this platform to share our story. Well, you're welcome. Yeah, and thank you I, very much. I echo that. Great. Well, thank you. I, I think I interrupted you, Bethany. Oh, no, I was just echoing Heather's sentiments. Thank you so much, uh, John. I mean, just, you know, getting to know you and all that you've done for this community is much appreciated. It's been a lot of fun. It's been, it's been an education for me, too. All right. Well, thank you all very much. You all have a nice weekend. You, too. Thank you. Thank you for listening, everybody. That uh, concludes another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Uh, next week's episode will feature additional stories from women about sexual harassment and predation in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. So join us again for episode 84 as we continue to explore this topic.